hej och välkommen till denna episoden av Changemakers egen podcast Förändringspodden. Jag heter Mathilde och är er nästledare i Changemaker och jag är er här sammen med Vebjörn från vårt politiska utvalg för global hälsa. Hej hej. And now I will switch over to English because today's guest is from Germany. Welcome Elisabeth Kauten. Hello. I don't know if that was the right way to pronounce your name, but <laughs> okay. It so, um, Elizabeth, you are a student of anthropology and gender studies, uh, and you have also been engaged engaged as the youth representative in the international network Act Alliance. And Changemaker is also part of this alliance. And you're also a member of the Generation Equality Youth Task Force set up by UN Women. Uh, in support of their review process of the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action and the, and the Generation Equality Forum. It's very many difficult uh, words in English, but uh, does it sound all right, correct? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And uh, my surname is quite difficult as well. So I know many <laughs> difficult words that try to keep it <laughs> Yeah. <simple. laughs> So uh, just to begin this podcast now, maybe you can uh, explain a little bit of these difficult words, like what is generation equality and the review of the declaration and all of this? Yeah, um, so I'm part of um, a group of young people, a task force, we are 39 people, and we're supporting the review processes of the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action. Um, that was um, a declaration adopted in 1995 in Beijing on the, um, in the fourth World Conference on Women, and it was kind of a milestone for women's rights. So now, 25 years later, we look back, um, there were some uh, regional review meetings, uh, every nation wrote um, a report and showed some missing areas concerning women's rights. And all this, this whole process of reviewing women's rights um, is um, also embedded in a, a movement called the Generation Equality Forum, the GEF. Um, this is a movement which will last for five years and uh, UN Women, uh, other actors, accredited organizations, civil society, academia, um, states, everyone is putting a focus on intergenerational cooperation. So they're including young people, that's why it's called generation equality. And they're putting a focus on civil society organizations as well. So this is basically what I do. I engage in those two uh, platforms kind of yeah that's very interesting thank you so it's kind of a process to update the UN action plan on this uh, theme and could you maybe say a little bit what are the main points that have been pointed out that they want to review um so what UN women pointed out and we as a youth task force as well um is that there are missing areas. The declaration was written in 1995 and many, many topics changed since then. So for example, climate change should be, uh, should be uh, centralized, should be more focused on like this. Um, or uh, for example, technology, uh, women in STEM, um, in STEM regions or in, in, in STEM topics like mathematics, uh, chemistry, physics, and so on. Um, so those are topics that weren't um, that weren't that important in 1995, but are gaining more attention right now. 
So uh, now we're making this podcast series as a part of the 16 Days of Activism campaign. Um, could you say a little bit about how your involvement with that is and which aspects of the campaign do you think is important to focus on or have you focused on? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So we as the task force are taking part in uh, the UN Women's Global Campaign, mainly through webinars and through social media. We are also um, connected to um, organizations that are part of the Gender-Based Violence Action Coalition. So this is a working group focusing on gender-based violence in the Generation Equality Forum. Um, when it comes to myself, I'm focusing on stigmatization of people experiencing sexual harassment and assault. So um, what I will try to do during this campaign to get into dialogue with people who experienced um, uh, sexual um, and gender-based violence, um, talking about uh, with them about difficulties to say no, um, the barriers for calling for help, um, overstepping own boundaries, um, yeah, topics like this. Um, we are very interested in knowing more about like the difficulties that you mentioned, for example, the victimization and the stigmatization related to gender-based violence. Um, but what do you yourself see as like some of the biggest challenges that victims of gender-based violence go through? Um, yes, it's very hard to point down <laughs> um, this uh, big, big topic to a few points, but um, I think one of the most important points is that um, the society should accept that most violence happens between friends and acquaintance and not um, with a stranger waiting in the bush. Um, this is kind of, this is a myth. Of course, this happens, uh, rape outside in the forest happens as well, but most of the people experience it in their own homes or between friends. And this is a very crucial, crucial fact. And I think many people should acknowledge this. Um, yeah. Do you see, do you see like the, um, the misconceptions in society that we have about gender-based violence, for example, that you mentioned, that is not the stranger waiting in the bush that we typically hear or like think about. Um, do you think this is a barrier also to 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 um, to like tackling gender-based violence? Yes, of course, of course, because um, in the end, uh, you have to get into conversation with people you know about those topics since they are involved um, in in overstepping boundaries. Um, it it is um, a, a major a major problem, I think. Um, so for example, um, if one experiences gender-based violence um, with a friend, um, the whole group of friends is kind of involved in that when it comes to speaking about it. So um, when one turns to like a close friend and says, oh, you know, this and this happened to me, um, there's friendship involved. Um, there, there's uh, future friendships involved, and it's very hard um, to uh, acknowledge that people you like may overstep your boundaries. And also, there are like um, great barriers, also and challenges that victims meet, like in relation to to being um, believed and to being understood by like the local authorities, the police, the the health uh, sector, also. So yeah. 
Um, and from a perspective of privilege, one can wonder like why, why not more women uh, report the violence to, for example, to say local authorities, because there is like a massive, um, uh, what do you say, like um, dark numbers of, of gender-based violence. But what, what do you think that is, Elizabeth? And um, what do you think we can do with this problem? I think that's because um, even if one decides that, or even if one is aware that um, that, that uh, gender-based violence happened, it's not just reporting, um, you know, it, 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 it's not that simple. Depending on the degree of severity, there, there comes a medical examination and many people experiencing gender-based violence are not willing or not able to do this medical examination right after the violence happened. So this is one big step, I think. And reporting to the police um, a few weeks later or a few months later, um, of course you can do this, but again, this is um, a big step <laughs> and many, and, and you will not be taken that seriously if you come back like half a year and say, oh, um, the, um, this and this happened to me, I want to report now. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's quite difficult, um, especially if there are no um, injuries um, if the if the violence happened um, on a on an emotional basis, um, it's it's very difficult, and most cases will not be prosecuted. Um, so the barrier is very high to do it. Yeah. Absolutely, because it's very easy to forget that uh, a big part of the gender-based violence is not physical or sexual; it's also emotional or uh, or psychological. Yes, absolutely. And, and even if the violence is physical, um, there might not be any scars afterwards, I would say, like, you know, like physical indications that that it happened, but uh, the injury will be emotion, most of all emotional afterwards. Yeah. And what you said about medical examinations um, afterwards, it can also be like re-traumatizing. Uh, for example, if you have to undress or have some gynecological checks or I don't know. So absolutely. Um, also, in some communities, um, gender-based violence is seen as normal, as in like normal fact of life. And so there is a challenge to like empower women and girls and all victims of gender-based violence um, to speak up against this. And how can we do this? Um, that's, that's a very interesting question. Yes. Actually, I'm writing my uh, bachelor thesis about this. Um, so I would first of all start in saying that the definition of gender-based violence um, is very different in, in, in regions of the world. Um, so it is, it is necessary to look at the frame of gender-based violence in each society and to notice, okay, what do they mean with this? Um, the second step is to avoid Eurocentristic notions of violence. Um, to be a bit more um, clear here, maybe I, um, I can say that in Germany, um, this and this and this, point A, B and C, um, falls under gender-based violence. But when I look to, for example, um, pastoral women living in Ethiopia, so like, um, nomadic women living in Ethiopia, um, they understand something very different under violence and something we see here as violent might not be violent there. Uh, nevertheless, um, 
women should absolutely speak up for themselves if they are treated, if they feel treated in a harmful way. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's if it's framed as gender-based violence or not. If they are treat, if they feel they are treated um, not good, they should speak up and encourage one another to 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 speak about the experience. Um, and looking at different societies, um, I would like to point out that um, women should be encouraged to see violence apart from their cultural identity. Um, so um, one of the most one of the most prominent examples would be female genital uh, genital mutilation. So cutting of um, um, of the clitoris, for example, um, this this could be seen as violent, and from my Western perspective, I would say it's violent. Um, but it is hard to argue against it when you feel that this practice is connect strongly connected to cultural identity. Um, so seeing this apart from cultural identity helps in talking about this and having the feeling not to betray their own community when women don't want to be cut. Yeah, and this is very also because we have we have to see like uh, ourselves as Europeans also, and there's a history and uh, um, yeah something like associations with that also. Um, but so so this is this sounds very crazy for me. Uh, I have to admit that uh, um, female genital mutilation is not seen as violent some places. Um, has that been in, in some change or somehow or? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think um, the view on uh, female genital mutilation has changed, and not only here, but um, also in regions where this is um, practiced a lot. Um, but again, um, it is important to reflect how people speak about this topic or about other topics as well. I mean, FJM is, is, is the most prominent one, as I said, but there are other uh, practices as well, like lip plates or scarifications or taboos when it comes to marriage um, or when it comes to giving birth and um, taboos concerning uh, bodily fluids of women. Um, all this can be debated under the word of violence um, but um, we should always keep in mind how we speak about this and that we don't have experience and we can't know how girls, for example, feel when it comes to FJM. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of has changed, as you said, of course. Um, but what should change even more is the way how we speak about it, because this hasn't changed that much in my point of view. Do you think you could give some examples, for example, on what would be like a better manner to speak about it? Um, for example, FGM or... Mm -hmm. mm, good question. <laughs> um, so um, I would suggest that um, when campaigning about FGM, it is important to put people from the regions in the first row to speak with communities and not us Europeans. Um, it is absolutely false to, um, <laughs> in brackets, fly down uh, somewhere <laughs> and say this and this and this is wrong and please stop this. But 
to um, to connect to people from that region who experienced FJM or did not, um, and to let them communicate in the language they speak and use their terms they want, um, and give give more time since FJM is such an important identity marker for for girls. It is very hard to lose this identity marker in a few years. So. Um, don't rush, I would say. This is important. Um, let the tradition change itself with the people from the regions. Yeah. So uh, just to clarify, FGM is female genital mutilation, right? That's the short. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a bit too fast. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. But um, gender-based violence have taken many forms then, and, and this is one of the types. But I think it's also interesting how you say that uh, different people around the world um, per perceive uh, different things as violence. And some things that we think is, is violence or is gender-based violence, other people maybe doesn't categorize it that way. Mm, and to... Uh, take it back to uh, to or take the conversation back to a Eurocentric uh, <laughs> perspective. Um, the Me Too movement was was very big in the especially in the West uh, a few years ago. Um, and I wonder how uh, how do you see the development of the fight to end sexual harassment uh, after after this movement and maybe especially in Germany has anything changed or has anything become better and both like um like number of cases happening but also like the way you talk about it um yes absolutely uh things changed i don't know the numbers um so <laughs> i cannot argue with this but what i noticed is that the dialogue changed um well in germany the dialogue changed um, people who weren't aware of the extent of violence, especially at workplaces, for example, um, began to talk about it. And I think with having this movement and a name for this form of violence is very, very important and opened and opened a whole big platform for women who feel the same. Um, it was kind of... Um, a low-key access since everybody could participate who, who experienced violence um, and post something and it was very low-key so I think this this is important that this changed um, and um, the 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 ability to exchange even um, even got bigger I would say so there are um, more forums more platforms and um, more spaces where people experiencing violence can share coping mechanisms and empower one another. Um, so I think the Me Too movement was a big, big step to open this up. I mean, it is still a taboo topic, of course, but at least it has a name now. So, yeah. That's good to hear that some things have changed for the better, at least. And um, while also talking about like the Me Too fight in Europe, um, and in Germany in particular, um, you say you have like as German have like become better at talking about different like class of women or 
like different structures of power. For example, what about trans women experiencing um, sexual harassment or uh, migrants or people of color? Um, do you think that has become more like highlighted as well? Um, well, from my point of view, um, minorities were overseen in this movement, as always. <laughs> um, I think looking at this year, um, Black Lives Matters made a huge step. And I think um, women of color are getting the platform to talk about their experiences there more than in the Me Too fight, um, because the Me Too fight is quite white, as you said, for white heteros, uh, cis women. Um, and since it started with the with the experiences of white actresses, um, the whole movement was pushed in this white corner. So I think it is our task now to again widen um, the 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 view and to acknowledge experiences women of color, queer people, trans people are are making, um, and to acknowledge the complex package of, um, of of intersectionality that comes with them. They're not only experiencing um, gendered, gender-based violence, but also because of race, because of class, because of um, their gender identity. Um, so mm. um, they are overseen in a quite systematic way, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, totally, and everything is very interconnected. And maybe I think this is like uh, our job as youth, as like the generation equality, as like the, the new generation, to talk more about these topics also. Uh, and remember that everything is all, always like uh, interconnected or intersectional, as you said. Um, another topic that is in relation to this is that when we talk about violence against women and girls, and like now, fortunately, the term has changed into gender-based violence, uh, which was before violence against women and girls, but still, uh, when come to think more about like women, uh, like gender-based violence is sometimes like associated with being a, a women's issue. One could also argue that this is actually a men's issue because men are like usually the perpetrators of the violence. Uh, and so uh, speaking about um, violence against women and girls, one associates it with, with being like a girl's issue. Uh, do you think we need to talk about this in a different way? Like, for example, by engaging men more. Yes, absolutely. That's a very crucial point that is often also <laughs> overseen in the debate about um, around gender-based violence. Um, I mean, of course, as you said, most of the perpetrators are male, um, but still there are many, many men experiencing violence. And I can't imagine the dark number of of those men because they are not <laughs> reporting and not, um, you know, exchanging experience in the way that women are doing right now. Um, so yes, I think um, the debate should get um, a new turn and recognize experiences men are making, um, and in this in the sense the platform women have should not be minimized but should be you know extended to a platform where men can speak freely and exchange um, about their experiences and their ideas of masculinity for example since violence and masculinity go kind of hand in hand in our head 
Um, but it is very important to reinterpret masculinity and to transform the notion about being manly um, in order to speak more freely about violence men um, are experiencing um, and also getting to the cause why so many perpetrators are actually male. Um, and this comes always down to gender roles we uh, construct. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's inspiring uh, what, uh, what was mentioned earlier that um, young people can have a really important role or we have an opportunity now to change um, or to include more people in this, in this fight against gender-based violence and, and change the discussion to also include minorities and also include in a higher um, or more uh, men as well. Mm, and many of our listeners here are young people, uh, youth. Um, so I was wondering to wrap this conversation up. Um, how do both of you see youth's role in, uh, in the fight to end gender-based violence in general? Um, Um, yes, youth is, in my point of view, the most important part in the whole fight, since we bring new perspectives um, to gender-based violence. Um, youth are experiencing violence, this is often overseen as well, but we are also bringing um, ideas and motivation and energy to um, talk about those topics and also to deconstruct those gender roles I just um, talked about. Um, so I would encourage every young person listening right now to get into dialogue and exchange ideas, experiences and uh, future plans to fight gender-based violence. Yeah, and I like that what you said about deconstructing the gender roles and also like highlight the forgotten topics in this like fight. As we touched upon earlier, for example, queer people, trans people, people of color. And it's very positive to see that the Black Lives Matter movement has put so much focus on, on this issue. Uh, and maybe this is what is our role as youth and uh, as the coming generation uh, in this fight. But yeah, to bring more like topics, forgotten topics on the, on the stage. And on that notion, we have to wrap this episode up, but thank you so much for taking part in this episode and, and sharing your reflections and knowledge with us, Elisabeth. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Og tusen takk til dere som har hørt på Forandringspodden sammen med oss i dag. Jeg håper at dere har blitt engasjert og har lyst til å lære enda mer om det temaet her, for det kommer nemlig flere episoder. Så følg med videre på Forandringspodden og Changemaker sine kanaler ellers. Tusen takk for oss! Takk for oss, ha det bra! Goodbye!